0: tonight we are dealing with uh, uh, the Christ in the book of John. I've got to put my eyeballs on because it looks like it says Luke, and I know that's not correct. So uh, we're in the gospel of John today, and uh, dealing with the gospel, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was uh, buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, as we come this, uh, this, this evening, we thank you. Thank you for the rain. Uh, Nice, steady, Uh, I know the plants appreciate it, Uh, those tomato plants out there, and uh, just pray, Father, that you might uh, water our hearts and our spirits as we look at your word tonight. Uh, Open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have for us. Uh, Give us grace to understand a little bit more about your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask it, amen. Amen. Okay, so in the Gospel of John, now uh, just a reminder uh, for those of you that have been here and for those that are new, uh, what we're doing, we're doing a series on the Gospel. Uh, Reason being is, as a missionary appointee, going around to a lot of Gospel preaching churches asking the question, what is the Gospel? By the way, I did it again this morning during Sunday school. And uh, these people, they're very young in the faith, the ones that were there. So I expected the answers I got. It's the Word of God. 33,100 verses in the Bible, 1,189 chapters. Can we narrow it down? They didn't go any further because they really didn't know. One guy did say, well, it's the story of Jesus. It's kind of like, well, yeah, that's included. Okay, but that's not really the gospel. Uh, When I was asking the question in gospel preaching churches, it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, those are the gospels, but what is the gospel? Well, it's the good news. Yep. Can you tell me what the good news is? And it was almost always a woman that gave me the right answer after approximately three to five minutes of asking questions. Because when you ask a question in church, people sit there like, is he really asking us a question? Uh, Because, of course, we're not used to that kind of uh, uh, thinking. But um, almost always a woman who got the right answer. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to Scripture. So in analyzing that, we have looked at the everlasting gospel in the book of Revelation and saw that there needed to be uh, repentance and fear toward God and worship of God. And we helped understand that, look, the concept of repentance is turning from the way you're living, at you as the boss, to him being the boss. Uh, So often repentance is looked at as, well, you got to repent of all your sins. How many of you know what all of your sins are? How many of you know that you might have sinned doing something that you thought was totally okay, but God in His holiness would not have? Ooh. See, if we really don't know or understand God's holiness, some of the things that we do that we think are totally okay might actually be sin. So how can you repent of those? See what I'm saying? So it's not repenting from all of your sins. It's getting the right heart attitude as to who is the boss of my life. And then as far as fear of him, that's putting him in his proper place, putting me in my proper place, and worshiping him. And then we started working on uh, the Christ, who the Christ is. We've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and tonight uh, we are in John. Uh, Next week, it's Mother's Day, so we want you to stay home with your mothers, aggravate them so that they'll want to get rid of you, and you'll come back the following week. Uh, The following week, we'll be looking at Christ died okay, for our sins, so we're going to have to deal with that whole issue, at which point I want you to understand we may have to get a little honest with ourselves because for the most part, we think we're not that bad. We can point the finger at Joe Biden or the, the LGBTQ, we, we, oh yeah, they're uh, the pedophile, oh yeah, they're really bad, but we're not that bad, and I'm forewarning you so that when you come, if you're going to be offended, you're going to have to talk to God, okay? Now, I might deliver it in an offensive way. We're going to try not to, but the message is offensive, Imagine that. I'm going to imagine you. Okay. All right. So let's get on with our notes here. Notice the purpose of John's gospel. John presents Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, that is found in uh, John twenty thirty one, 31. And we will uh, deal with that verse a little bit later. Uh, so being the Christ, the Son of God, he is the second person of the triune Godhead. Uh, you'll notice I got a little dash there. Uh, did not... Uh, The the first verse that comes to my mind is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, where you have the Ancient of Days, and then you have one like the Son of Man comes in, and he sits on the throne, which means he's in charge. And so you have a second God? No. You have the second person of the Godhead. And uh, also, letter B, he is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, the beginning is when God creates. Before the beginning, there is no time because there is no matter. So when matter has been created, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the idea of the Word being with God, he is in this face-to-face relationship with Jehovah God. Okay? And so uh, he is also God. So he's co equal, co eternal. Uh, When we think of Jesus, we kind of see the Jesus of the Gospels and forget that according to Philippians chapter 2, he laid aside the kenosis, the theological term coming from the Greek word, but he laid aside the voluntary use of his non communicable attributes. What on earth does that mean? Well, If something is communicable, it means it can be passed from one to another. Communicable diseases, things like that. Uh, uh, Non-communicable characteristics are the things about God that is not something we can participate in. God is love. Can we participate in love? Yes, that's a communicable attribute. God is omnipresent. Some of us may be working on that, depending on our diets, but... We cannot be omnipresent. That's a non-communicable attribute. So when Jesus is here as a man, he is not participating in his omnipresence voluntarily. It didn't, it's not as though he didn't have it. He didn't use it. Same with his omniscience or his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. When he did a miracle, he was fully dependent upon the Father using the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about what the Father's will was in that situation. Okay? So he is co-equal and co-eternal, even though we see him as a, quote-unquote, lesser than. No, he's not lesser than. He's fulfilling a role that brings about salvation. Letter B, contrasts with the synoptic Gospels. Ninety percent of the Gospel of Mark is found in the books of Matthew and Luke. Okay? Okay? Uh, the, the three are called the synoptic Gospels, meaning a common perspective. In other words, it tells many of the same stories. Sometimes in telling the stories, uses exactly the same words. It's almost like Peter is dictating to Mark, here's what we want to write in the book. And then Matthew comes along a little bit later and says, ooh, yeah, i got to include that. It's kind of like, how do you say that again? And he writes it exactly the same way. Now, sometimes it's written from a different perspective, I'll give you an example. Uh, Bartimaeus the blind man. How many blind men were there? In that story. One gospel says two, and one gospel says one. In the gospel that talks about the one, it gives you the name. In the gospel that talks about the two, same story, same location, doesn't give you a name. Interesting. Interesting okay but many of the stories are written the same stories are written in all three gospels uh Notice uh, letter B, presentation of Jesus' ministry. Well, in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, you have the first part of Jesus' ministry. In Galilee, he is teaching miracles, conflict with the religious leaders. You have all that in all three of those Gospels. And then you have this, in the final portion, he heads to Jerusalem for Passover, challenging the religious leaders, which, of course, brings about his crucifixion and rises again. Now, uh, to be honest with you, When you look at the religious leaders of his day, they were not unlike some of your lower politicians in America today. And again, well, you know, we shouldn't talk about politics. Get over it. The one who's in charge of the world, that was in charge of the world at that time, is using the same methodology, okay, uh, what's her name over here in uh, St. Louis? The uh, DA that uh, doesn't want to prosecute criminals. Well, uh, wants to prosecute innocent people. Uh, what was Jesus? Yeah. And they had six illegal trials, and yet he was innocent. But we got we to gotta get rid of that guy. So a lot of similar, uh, again, the guy that's in charge, And when I say in charge, Satan is in charge under the auspices of God. He can't do anything that God doesn't let him do, okay? But the methodology that he uses has worked through the centuries, so why change it? So that brings us to uh, uh, number three there under letter B. Uh, Within Mark, Matthew, uh, Luke, you have many short episodes, uh, little short stories. Uh, For example, Mark 2, 1 to 3 um uh one two one through three six you have five conflict with religious leaders chapter two one to twelve you have the call of Levi uh, chapter two verses 13 to seventeen by the way the reason why that's a conflict with the religious leaders Levi is a tax collector he's called Matthew later on and if you're holy you don't hang out with tax collectors okay Um Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, you have the healing of the paralytic. In chapter 2, 18 to 22, you have questions about fasting. In chapter 2, 23 to 38, and in chapter 3, 1 to 6, you have two controversies with the religious leaders over the Sabbath. Okay, so that's basically how Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke are written. A lot of short stories, a lot of ministry up here in the north, and then finally we come down to Jerusalem. It's not that they don't mention that he's gone to Jerusalem. It's just not a big deal for them. Now, Christ's self-identification in the Synoptic Gospels. Central message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, Right? That's the central message of the first three Gospels. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom to enter the kingdom. He uses parables to describe the kingdom. Why? Well, to keep some people out and those that are entering in to give them understanding of what it's all about. And then you have uh, the identity deals more with his being Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king and savior from the line of David, the one who would save his people from their enemies and establish God's kingdom. Now, think about that with me for just a moment. What were they looking for in a Messiah? That's what they were looking for, a conquering king that would free them from their enemies. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke present him as, this is what came. And you guys didn't get it. John, on the other hand, notice number two, 90% of John's gospel is unique. You're not going to see 90% of the things that he talks about in the other gospels. Uh, For example, letter A, repeatedly goes to Jerusalem for various festivals. Instead of all of his ministry up in Galilee, it's kind of like, look, in chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 6, verse 14, chapter 11, verse 55, he is down in Jerusalem for the Passover. Oh, by the way, guess how, where you're supposed to be during the Passover. In the other Gospels, there's only one mention of going uh, for Passover to Jerusalem. Now, there is a story... That doesn't say that it was a Passover. It's also in John. Notice other festivals. One may be the fourth Passover. Now, why do I say that? Because we know he ministered for three years, right? When did he start his ministry? Around his 30th birthday. Okay, when was that? December 25th? No, um just joking, just joking. Uh, you know, we really don't know, but Passover is in the spring. So he's in the ministry He goes for Passover. Then we have two more listed. So that's a total of two and a half years. If that other one is a Passover, that's three and a half years. We know he ministered for three at least. The disciples, by the way, were only with him for about two of those three and a half years. They were with him at the beginning, but then they went back to fishing. And they might have done a few things, and then they went back to fishing. And then finally, when he calls them, they left their nets, and they didn't go back to him until after the resurrection, which is kind of funny if you think about it for just a moment. Okay, so three Passovers, other festivals that he visited Jerusalem, chapter 5, verse 7, chapter 7, I mean chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 2, chapter 10, verse 22. And again, one of those may have been a fourth Passover. Letter B, he presents longer, John does, presents longer episodes, followed by extended debate with the religious leaders. Example, he has a conversation with Nicodemus, chapter 3. The woman at the well. That's a whole chapter, not just a few verses, a whole chapter dealing with her and then ultimately with the Samaritans. Uh, Number two there, the paralytic at the Pool of Siloam in chapter 5. He deals with him. The guy leaves, gets caught by the religious leaders, and somewhere in the rush, Jesus ends up being in conflict with them. That's chapter 5. Uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery, chapter 8. Uh, you, you have a very long discussion with the religious leaders after a particular event. And he ultimately, in that chapter, says, look guys, you're of your father the devil, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, he's not pulling punches and he's not talking nicely. He's saying it the way he knows it to be. Okay. And then uh, in chapter 9, you have the blind man made well on the Sabbath. If you have not read John chapter 9, please take some time this week. Enjoy it. It is funny. Here's a guy that was born blind. He's a full-grown adult now. He's healed. And in the process, everybody goes, whoa, what happened? And he gets called in before on the carpet, you know, before the religious leaders. And they go, tell us what happened. Well, you know, I couldn't see and now I can. Well, who did it? I don't know. I just know that he healed me. No one's ever done that before. Well, you're, you're just a, you know, you're, you're, you must be a racist. Basically what happened, okay? And he, they ask him again. He goes, why do you want to become his disciple? I mean, think about that for a minute. That's kind of like just putting it right back in their face. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is how John writes these longer stories that include conflict with the religious leaders. Letter C. How does Christ identify Himself in the Gospel of John? Well, number one, the focus is much more on His own identity and unique relationship with the Father. Why? Because He came to reveal the Father. Let me read uh, chapter 1, verse 18 for a minute. No one has seen God at any time. I always like this verse because as I pointed out, I think it was last week, or maybe it was Wednesday, um, there's all kinds of people that saw God in the Old Testament. So what's he saying, no one has seen God? No one has seen God the Father, okay? The Old Testament appearances of God are Christophanies. We call them theophanies, but it's Christ. That's who they've seen. Uh, The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. One of the purposes of Christ's coming is so that you would see what God is like. Another reason to study the Gospels. What is God like? If you look at the way some churches, and maybe we have handled things like this in the past, you would think that God is, well, he's relatively mean, he's strict, and if you don't follow the rules, we are knocking you upside the head. I know I have believed that in the past. Until you see how Jesus deals with things. How does he deal with the woman caught in adultery? He's compassionate. He's merciful. Where are those who judge you? They're not here. I don't judge you either. Go and sin no more. Obviously, there is a statement that needs to be followed. But I don't judge you either. How about the guy that uh, was at the well, uh, Pool of Siloam? Um, Hey, you want to be made well? Now, I don't know about you, but that's like one of those stupid questions. But it's not stupid from Christ's perspective. He knows things. He knows this guy. Well, look at our society. You want to be made well? No. We want you to affirm us in our delusions. Oh, see, not everybody wants to be made well. And he made a variety of excuses as to why he wasn't well already. Well, Jesus heals him anyway. I don't know about you, but at that point, it's kind of like, fine, sit there. I'm walking, (laughs) okay? But again, that's me. Thankfully, it's not Jesus, okay? But um, he heals him, and the first chance that guy gets to get Jesus in trouble, he's all about that. He gets caught carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Well, who told you to do that? Well, the guy who healed me, who healed you? I don't know. And Jesus comes to him later and says, look, go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. And the guy turns around and runs to the religious leader and says, I know who did it now. <sighs> okay, maybe he wasn't a Democrat, but... Uh, it, that kind of a thing. So his identification deals more with who he is, his unique relationship with the Father. Notice number two, salvation comes through knowing the Father through the Son. John fourteen six. I, I'm just absolutely amazed. See some of these TikTok videos where Jesus never said he was the only way to get into heaven. Let me see. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So question for you. Where's the Father? He's in heaven. So what's the only way to get to heaven? Through Jesus. It's hard to read sometimes. (laughs) So uh, notice in the Gospel of John there are no parables. Parables. The focus of his true humanity and true deity is what uh, John concentrates on. Uh, he, con- he points out that he's the eternal son. 519, And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father to, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Five thirty. I can do nothing of myself, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 638. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Uh, 828. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father taught Me, I speak these things. 10.38 But if I do, though you do not believe Me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in Me and I in Him. 12.49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. 14.10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. 17.21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I, verse 23, I in them and you in me, and they, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Whole point being is he's the eternal son. He keeps on referring to God as Father. The only time in the four Gospels that Jesus does not refer to God as his Father is when he's on the cross, he has taken sin upon himself, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time, every other time, even talking to his disciples, your Father in heaven, teaching them to pray, our Father who art in heaven. My Father sent me. My Father does this. I do what He tells me to do. That kind of thing. Okay? And also, not just the eternal Son, but the Word. Now, the word Word, Logos, is dealing more with the concept of relating an idea, so in one in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see in 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, His job to declare the Father, the, Word, the concept of Him being the Word, is He is relating an idea of what the Father is like through His life. Okay. And then of course, notice the last point there, God's self revelation. Chapter one, verse eighteen, I already read to you. Chapter fourteen, uh verses seven to nine, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Now I don't know about you, but that's kind of like talking to a kid, right? Uh Jesus says. You know him and you've seen him. Can you show him to me? Like, where is he in the room kind of thing. You can just imagine a kid doing something like that. But this is a full grown man. Show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So you you see there... Jesus is God's self-revelation. Okay? Uh, That brings us to letter C. John's purpose. John chapter 20 and verse 31. To provoke faith in Jesus, resulting in eternal life. He says in John 20, 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The purpose in believing that is that believing you may have life in His Name. Uh, one of the things I pointed out in our Hebrews passage this morning is within the gospel there, there's the negative side of the message. Look, if you don't put your trust in Christ, who he is, what he's done, there's going to be a judgment. It is appointed on the man once to die and after that the judgment. The positive side of the same message is, look, if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get to enter into a relationship with the living God, whereby, yes, He forgives all of your sins. Yes, someday you get to do a layover in heaven. But what's more important than that is you get to watch Him work in you and making you more like Jesus Christ and through you to help others come to know Him too. And then someday, after the layover in heaven is over, we get to come back here and reign with Him forever. See, we want to talk about, well, if you just believe in Jesus, you get to go to heaven. That's kind of like, if you just believe in Jesus, you get to go to Atlanta and sit there for 12 hours. That's what heaven is. Now, how long is it going to be? Well, I know it's going to be at least seven years. But after that, we're coming back. Don't get too hung up on heaven. It's a nice place to visit. Was that? You might want to live there? Well, actually, heaven's coming back here. So you will be living there here. <laughs> okay. So that brings us to number two. How John serves his purpose, both found in John 20, 30 and 31, and twenty-one, twenty-five. Uh, it says in uh, John 20, uh, 30, and G- truly Jesus did many other signs, okay? John 21, 25 says that there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know, people struggle with, Man, 66 books in the Bible, four chapters a year, I mean a day, just to get through the Bible in a year, that's really tough. Imagine if they wrote everything that Jesus did. You wouldn't be getting through the Bible in a year. (laughs) You know, you got someone like Shirlene Bagley that uh, will read the whole Bible in about 70 days. And if you think that's impossible, that's like 25 chapters a day. That's not really hard. It just means you have to be dedicated to 45 minutes of time reading. Okay? But again, if this was all written down, Sherlene wouldn't be getting through it either. Okay? Even at 25 chapters a day. Okay. Uh, Notice, uh, truly, Jesus did many other signs, letter A. Number two, in the presence of his disciples. Uh, See, Jesus did things to help people, but the people that he needed to prepare for what was coming, his disciples. They needed to see who he was, what power he actually had, understand the teachings that he taught, so that when they took over, they had it. Now, they still needed the Holy Spirit. All you got to do is read Acts chapter 1, and you can see They were still missing a few things. But once the Holy Spirit came, they were ready to go, and they turned the world upside down. Uh, And then, of course, number three, which are not written in this book. Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. In John, but these are written, it says. In John, he covers seven signs that John wrote about to prove Jesus' person. Number one, you have the turning of water into wine. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You can talk about the concept of, well, he's the creator. Okay? But there's more to it than just that. Okay? But that is one of the signs. Another sign, the healing of the royal official's son. Now, the royal official. uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look in chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. um, Because he, he does something for a centurion at some point. And the centurion is not a Jew. So whether or not this is the centurion or not, I'm not sure. But uh, he does something for someone beyond uh, Israel, we do know. Number three, the healing of the disabled man in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. That's the guy that ended up uh, telling on him a little bit later on in the chapter. The feeding of the 5,000, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, which became, if you will, a weeding out process. You know, all churches, they want to grow numerically, spiritual, maturity-wise. The reality is, is Jesus comes to a point where he's got a bunch of followers, and he says, hey guys, let me fill you in. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be with me. And they all went, gross! And they turned around walked away and stopped following him. He's weeding them out. You know, the reality is, is When you look at biblical truth in the Bible, we need to remember to keep ourselves open to what God says, not put God in a box and think, this is how it works. Because as soon as you do that, I promise, he's going to turn around and get outside of that box, and you're going to sit there and say, now, wait a minute. Now, who's the boss? Him or us? Just something for you to think about there. And then you have walking on the water in chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. Uh, Another wonderful story when you think about it. Peter says, that's you, Lord? Tell me to walk on the water. So Peter gets out of the boat because Jesus said, come on. And what happens? It's kind of like raising kids. He gets out a little bit. He starts looking around. Oh, man. And he starts sinking. Lord, save me. Uh, You know, the kids, they... They need the time, the experience to grow so that they can keep their eyes on the Lord. God, doesn't that sound like something we all need, right? Instead of looking at everything that's going on around us. Um, then you have the healing of the man born blind. We talked about him a little bit already. And then the raising Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11, verses 1 to 43. So, those are the seven signs that John uses to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He also, in the Gospel of John, presents the seven I am's, the seven I am sayings of Jesus. Number one, chapter 6, verse 35 I am the bread of life. Uh, last Sunday, when I spoke, I talked about the manna and Israel. Got to eat that manna for 40 years. And what was one of their complaints? Got to eat manna again. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of bland, a little bit of coriander seed, but can we have some meat? Well, Jesus is our manna. The Word of God is our manna. And how many times have you read through the Bible? I'm not asking for an answer at this point. I want you to think about it. Well, you know, I've read the whole thing, and it gets old after a while. Okay, you Israelites. Just saying. Uh, But Christ is presented. The Scriptures are about Him. The more you learn from the Scriptures, the more you understand about God. The harder it is to put Him in a box, by the way. Okay? Just... Something to think about there. He goes on to say, "I am the light of the world." In eight twelve and nine five, he goes on to say, "In eight twelve, if anyone follows me, he will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life." Now, now notice, not only there, but in John chapter one verse oh, four, I think it is, light and life are equated, are put together. In a couple of places in the gospel of John, if you're following Jesus, you will not walk in darkness. Doesn't mean you're not going to have your failures. But you will have the light of life. Life inside of you coming up, springing up like a, a well, and that is going to be light. The more we have it going in, the more it shows in our life and the more people are going to see that guy is a little bright this week. You know, I'm not talking about smart. I'm talking about his life is shining. There's something different about him. I want to know. And they come and ask the question. Um, he also says, I am the gate for the sheep. Uh, use the word gate there. He, I think in some versions it says, I am the door. Uh, the sheep fold is where the sheep are secure at nighttime from all of those things that might eat, kill them and eat them. Or from robbers that would steal them. And the shepherd would sit right in the doorway. So in order to get his sheep, you had to go through him. Well, who's going through Jesus? You know what I mean? So he is the gate to the sheep. He's the one that keeps us secure. He is the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. The gate of the sheep was John chapter 10, verses 7 to 11. Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. Another one of those great stories uh, where, <clears throat> excuse me, if you follow the story along from the beginning, by the time Jesus gets notification that Lazarus is sick, he's already been dead. And then he waits a day and then takes a day to travel, gets there. He has been dead for four days. Now, in the Jewish mindset, the soul leaves the body after three days. Decay has set in. There is no chance of revival. And what does Jesus do? I'm the resurrection and the life. Yeah, I know someday we're all going to be back together again. That's the one sister. And then he goes to the second sister. Same thing. He goes, watch this. Lazarus! Come forth. Boom! He comes bouncing out. He's wrapped up like a mummy. Probably learned that, by the way, when they were down in Egypt. You know, when people talk about Jesus, he was wrapped up like a mummy. Had all kinds of spices that would have hardened and left the case around his body there, almost solid. And when they went to look for his body, what happened? Well, the napkin that's wrapped around his head is neatly folded over here on the side, but they got to see that hollow encasement Now, it may have dilapidated a little bit because it didn't have a lot of time to dry, but that's what they would have seen. Well, Lazarus comes forth, hopping out of there, kind of like, hey, unwrap him. Get him something to eat. It's been a couple of days. I don't know about you, but 40 minutes is about, you know, as far as we want to go, right? It's been three days. Four days this guy's been dead. So, raising Lazarus from the dead, um, the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 1-6, number seven, I am the true vine. In uh, John chapter 15 and verse five, well, one to five, you could say. He goes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then he says, stay connected. Eat that manna. Be fully dependent upon me. And then you're going to bear fruit. I got this, God. I can do it. no. You can't abide in me. Stay connected. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then, if you want to get technical, a uh, plus one I am in uh, John chapter 8 and verse 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, notice the uh, tense of the states of being. Before Abraham existed, I have always been, is basically what he's saying. That's an I am if you want to think about it, okay? All right, uh, reminding you, of course, of Moses, where he says, who shall I say sent me? I am sent you. I am that I am, and he's not eating spinach. That brings us to the book of glory. In chapters 13, 1 through twenty thirty one. we have a variety of stories that are either Uh, Enhanced compared to the other gospels, or are put in here and they're not in the other gospels. First of all, the Last Supper. Now, the Last Supper is talked about in the other gospels, but in this particular version, you have the washing of the disciples' feet. Uh, Chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. You have the prediction of denial and betrayal. Uh, Before this night ends, uh, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, All of you are going to be scattered. And one is going to be the one that actually turns me over to the religious leaders. You have in chapter 14 through 16, uh, Jesus' farewell address to the disciples with a focus on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of my study, I want you to understand something. We take for granted the concept of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. When you look at the Old Testament, The Spirit came upon people. They did what they were supposed to do. He left. Now, he may have stayed. The Bible's not really clear about that. You have a figure like David. David committed adultery, killed the woman's husband, lied about it for nine months. When he finally repents, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We like singing that song, right? God doesn't take His Holy Spirit from us. Now, the power that we have access to to live the life that God wants us to live? Ah, that's another thing. If you're going to be a dirty vessel, you're going to grieve and uh, quench the Spirit, well, then chances are you're not really going to be living the victorious Christian life that God wants you to live. But the Spirit is different in this age than He was in the old. uh Jesus says to the disciples, he is with you and he shall be in you. When we go to Romans chapter 8, we see that if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. The concept in the context is you're going to be experiencing eternal life. It's the same as being filled with the Spirit. What's the first thing you see after be filled with the Spirit? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Do you go around saying, ooh, I'm supposed to be singing to myself in songs and hymns. No, when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't really help it you had got a song in your heart, and you're just, yeah, baby. Or if you're talking to someone about Christ, you're teaching and admonishing. Uh, You're thankful for what goes on in your life when you're filled with the Spirit. You're not trying to be thankful. It's something that happens. Now, take that and apply it to the rest of the passage through chapter 6, verse uh, 8 or 9, I think it is. And you're going to realize Wives, you don't need to submit on your own husbands. Husbands, you don't need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. You need to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's important. If you are not doing what God has called you to do in cooperation with Him, it is not a good work. And we've been saved unto good works, right? The only way you do a good work is you're co-laboring with God. So, wives, it's not a matter of you submitting to your husband. It's a matter of you being filled with the Spirit. Submitting will become more natural, a little easier. I know he's a dingbat. You'll get over it. God will take care of that. Uh, Counseling uh, more than one, let's put it that way, okay? In, In 1 Peter chapter 3, He starts out by talking to women whose husbands don't obey the word. Any of you ladies know any of those guys? Okay. We have our issues. All of us do. But we know that men do, right? So how are you going to get them to change? It says that he may be one without a word. The idea of him being one is not coming to the Lord, though that may happen. It is to get him to understand This is something he ought to be doing. And it doesn't mean you can't say anything. But ladies, what happens when you say something about your husband's bad habits more than once? Uh, Sometimes there's a shift of blame, yes. But normally, men are just dense enough that if you, excuse the expression, nag us, we will dig in our heels. So what are you going to do with a guy like that? It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, ladies, concentrate on being who you're supposed to be. Walk with God. Hope in God. Trust Him to knock your husband upside the head if that's what it's going to take. Yeah, but wait a minute. I might have to go through that with him. Uh-huh. You signed up for it when you said, I do. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and some of us are just dense enough that you may have to go through a little bit of it. But the reality is, is that's how husbands are changed. God changes them. Okay? But again, how are you going to do that? you got to be filled with the Spirit. Because if left to yourself, can I promise you, you're going to be frustrated. Because men can be frustrating. Hey guys, you want to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Walk in the Spirit. Yeah, but you don't understand my wife. Yeah, but I got one. I, under- I understand. <laughs> okay? The, the reality is is it comes much more naturally when we're co-laboring with God to do what God has called us to do. Okay? So the promise of the Spirit is a big deal. All right, that brings us to letter C Jesus' high priestly prayer in uh, John chapter 17. You don't see this anywhere else, but if you read through it carefully, we have a definition of eternal life. We have uh, Jesus talking about the unity of the body, that we are one. Yeah, but I don't like some of those people. I totally understand. That has nothing to do with the price of beans in China. You're all in the same body, and you're to love one another. Why? Because that's how the world's going to know that God sent Jesus, because you love someone that might irritate you. Hmm, interesting how that works. Of course, you have his arrest, the trials, and the crucifixion. You really need all four Gospels, or maybe at least two or three of them, to get all six trials. Nobody talks about all six of them, but Jesus, I mean, John does talk about a a few of his trials, and then, of course, the crucifixion. And then in chapter 20, you have his resurrection. Again, the other Gospels talk about his resurrection. Uh, But another thing that is uh, found in John that you're not going to see elsewhere is what we call the epilogue in John chapter 21. We have another appearance of Christ before the 40 days is up, where he restores. Peter. If you're not uh, aware of that restoration, Peter denied Christ how many times? Three times. How many times did Christ say he was going to uh, deny him? How many times did Peter say, no, that's not going to happen? Probably a couple of times in there. You know, um, the reality is, is when Jesus restores Peter, and, and by the way, if you think, Well, it's terrible that Peter did that. I want you to understand something. Every time you choose sin, you're denying Christ. Not denying Him in the sense of I don't know Him. You're basically saying, I'm the boss of my life. Okay? You're denying that He is Lord, which is one of those things you kind of have to do to get saved, right? So we're guilty of denying Him too. He comes to Peter and he says, Jesus, do you love me more than these? Now he says, do you agape me more than these. What are the these? Well, it could be the other disciples. It could be the fishing. Uh, who knows? Uh, people want to argue about stuff like that. It doesn't matter. Do you love me more than these? And Jesus, uh, Peter says, Well, Lord, you know I follow you. I have this brotherly affection towards you. Uh, that's not what I asked. I asked if you agape me. Well, I have this brotherly affection. And so Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he says, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know that I phileo you. I can't say agape because I know what I did. I denied you three times when I said, if I die, I'll do that. That was my agape, and I fell on my face. So I phileo you. Fine, tend my sheep. Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter is kind of aggravated a little bit here. Kind of like, I lowered the expectation. And you know what God did? He said, okay, fine. Do you love me at that level? I thought I agapeed him, and I couldn't do that. Do I really phileo him? Yes, feed my sheep. See, you don't get out of serving God just because you blew it. Now, I want you to understand that from two perspectives. When you fall on your face, it doesn't get get you away from serving God. You need to confess it, get back on the stick, and walk with Him. And if you see somebody else that falls on their face, don't expect that they can't serve God be a part of restoring them, meekly, humbly, recognizing, hey, given a chance, I can fall on my face too. In fact, I'll bet I can do it better than you, <laughs> that kind of a thing. So uh, just a few lessons there, uh, so we have another appearance to restore Peter. So in the Gospel of John, we see where truly he is presenting Christ differently than the other three. Uh, Matthew is presenting him as the king, son of David, son of Abraham, son of Adam. He's both man and God. Mark is uh, presenting him as my servant from the Old Testament. Uh, Luke is presenting both humanity and deity, but he really emphasizes the humanity aspect of thing. John emphasizes this is God come in the flesh to fulfill what God has planned so that we might have eternal life. And if you will put your trust in Him, God will give to you that free gift of eternal life. Okay, as I said, next week, Mother's Day, stay home with moms so that they can send you back the following week. The following week, we're going to start dealing with Christ died for our sins. Okay, let's pray and we'll let you go. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for its simplicity. I would ask, Lord, that you might give us grace to understand these things so that as we live Christ before a lost and dying world, empowered by your Spirit, when people ask, why are you like that, we can give them a reason for the hope that we have because of Christ. Thank you again for the opportunity Please use us to bring others to know you. In the name of Jesus, amen.